Today on the Ward Preacher Podcast, the Tower of Apostasy, a land of promise, and the solutions to our problems. I'm Brett Jensen, and this is the Ward Preacher Podcast. Today we are digging into the Book of Ether, chapters 1 through 5. Um, Moroni is the one who is giving us the abridgment that we find in this book uh, toward the end of the Book of Mormon. And so even though it is chrono- uh, chronologically before um, the majority of, of the Book of Mormon, uh, it is almost at the end where we start to read it. And it starts with a reference to, there's a big genealogy that's given from Ether, who's a descendant of this big line of kings that ultimately goes back to Jared and his brother that lived in the land of Shinar. Um, this is the land of Babylon. And it was at the time of the Tower of Babel. Now, there's a lot of context that I think is useful to think about uh, before we dig into some of the details around uh, the account that we find in the book of Ether. God had gone to great lengths to give his children an opportunity to fulfill their purpose on the earth. And when I say great lengths, I mean he sent a flood that killed every man, woman, child, and beast that was not saved on the ark. The eight human beings that survived were Noah and his wife, his three sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and they each had one wife. That was it. Everyone else gone. But it was a fresh start. The earth was no longer full of violence. The earth was now a good place for human beings to come and to fulfill their purpose, to have families, to understand the teachings of God to understand the role of Jesus Christ, and to fulfill their purpose, to learn to return to the presence of our Father in heaven. Now, as people began to spread on the face of the land, it was only a small number of generations before this purpose of fulfilling our our destiny to be children of God, before it kind of fell into apostasy. Uh, We learn from the account in Genesis that Ham, one of the people on the ark who survived the flood, had a son named Cush, who had a son named Nimrod. And Nimrod's kingdom was Babel and Akkad in the land of Shinar. This is old Babylon. Um, And the passage in Genesis 11, the first nine verses, give us the majority of what we have in Scripture about this. Uh, So let's go ahead and read that really quick. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. 
And they said, Go to, let us build a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and, con and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. All right, so that's pretty much all we have. This account is obviously incomplete. There was a lot more going on that is not written in Genesis. And I think as Moses was writing this, he made some assumptions that you already kind of knew a, a little of the context. Uh, maybe not. Uh, maybe it's been lost for other reasons. Um, but just in case, let's, let's just point out a couple of things which hopefully are obvious. Like, God was not worried about the construction of a tower. You're allowed to build structures. That was not why God was worried about this. God was also not worried that the people might reach heaven. No, in fact, that's why he sent prophets. That's why he uh, had given the flood so that he could reset things so that they could be in a position where they could return to be with him. That was not the concern. There was something about the influence that was held by Babylon that he was concerned about, something that could be solved by the confounding of languages and encouraging the spreading of nations in different areas to different places. The Book of Mormon confirms this. Here is a passage in Ether, chapter 1, starting in verse 33. Which Jared came forth with his brother and their families, with some others and their families, from the great tower at the time the Lord confounded the language of the people, and swore in his wrath that they should be scattered upon all the face of the earth. And according to the word of the Lord, the people were scattered. And the brother of Jared, being a large and mighty man, and a man highly favored of the Lord, Jared his brother said unto him, Cry unto the Lord, that he will not confound us, that we may not understand our words. And it came to pass that the brother of Jared did cry unto the Lord, and the Lord had compassion upon Jared. Therefore he did not confound the language of Jared, and Jared and his brother were not confounded. Then Jared said unto his brother, Cry again unto the Lord, and it may be that he will turn away his anger from them who are our friends, that he confound not their language. And it came to pass that the brother of Jared did cry unto the Lord, and the Lord had compassion upon their friends and their families also, that they were not confounded. So, uh, after reading that passage from Ether, we have a, a couple of important details that we get from the scriptures directly. 
Um, first, the tower was not like an analogy for something. This isn't a fable, just some fiction meant to tell a good story. It's not a parable. This actually existed. There was a tower, and God was upset with the people in this land. The wrath of God was not brought upon the people in Shinar to mess with them. This is another important detail that we get from the Book of Ether. Deliverance was available to those who asked, and the Lord was filled with compassion for all those who would come to him. This pattern is important to recognize. We can also infer that there were a lot of people in Babylon because of this who were opposed to the Lord and his commandments, who did not ask for help or want anything to do with the Lord. There are a lot of things outside of the scriptures that can also provide some interesting uh, context to our understanding. Um, some of it is linguistics. Uh, Sumerian, for example, the ancient city of Sumer had a language which is considered by scholars to be a language isolate. It is not a part of any family, it's its own thing. Um, Akkadian, which was a Semitic family language, um, was used frequently in the same area, totally separate. Um, but they kind of had some correspondence. Even though they were totally different, uh, the people were kind of bond, bound together and tried to make use of both. For example, the syllabic cuneiform writing that Akkadian used sometimes had symbols that really didn't correspond to Semitic versions of words but more to the Sumerian logographs, which were more like kanji, the idea of representing a, a, an entire concept, an entire word with a particular symbol. Um, it's also worth noting that we don't know for, sur for sure whether Sumerian was an isolate because it was actually the original tongue or it was independent, and I'm certainly when I'm talking about these languages, not making any of these claims. But it is interesting that the area of Mesopotamia historically has been connected to multiple languages that were totally unrelated and yet worked side by side and influenced one another. This is kind of a big deal. Though they were totally separate languages, they still, those that remained, used efforts to try and understand one another. They were trying to overcome this linguistic barrier. Um, also, about the, the king of this society, this Nimrod the hunter. Jewish apocryphal sources reference Nimrod as not just a guy who killed animals. Uh, he was not just a hunter. He was a villain. He was an antagonist, uh, even down into the life of Abraham. Uh, there's a passage in Clark's Bible commentary that adds some insight. So this is what the, this scholar says on the subject. Though the words are not definite, it is very likely that he was a very bad man. His name, Nimrod, comes from Marad. He rebelled. 
and the Targum, the ancient Jewish translations or paraphrases of the scriptures, uh, in First Chron uh, Chronicles uh, 10 says that Nimrod began to be a mighty man in sin, a murderer of innocent men, and a rebel before the Lord. The Jerusalem Targum says he was a mighty hunt. He was mighty in hunting or in prey and in sin before God, for he was a hunter of the children of men in their languages. And he said unto them, Depart from the religion of Shem, and cleave to the institutes of Nimrod. The Targum of Jonathan ben Uziel says, From the foundation of the world, none ever was found like Nimrod, powerful in hunting and in rebellions against the Lord. The Syriac calls him a warlike giant. The word Tzayid, which we render hunter, signifies prey, and is applied in the scriptures to the hunting of men by persecution, oppression, and tyranny. Hence, it is likely that Nimrod, having acquired power, used it in tyranny and oppression, and by rapine and violence founded that dom domination, which was the first distinguished by the name of a kingdom on the face of the earth. So that's the scholar's uh, take on Nimrod, that he wasn't just a hunter, he was a bad dude. Um, efforts of Babylon were not limited to construction projects. I think that that's important to establish. There are numerous references in the scriptures that allude to the, to the need for men to get out of Babylon. And it comes from this understanding, this context of Babylon was bad. And here we have Ether uh, describing, well, Moroni abridging Ether, describing Jared and his brother being guided by God because of their righteousness and faithfulness out of this den of evil. Um, this is applicable today. Get out of apostasy. Hold to God and his prophets and his word. Flee Babylon. All right. A land of promise. So the... Uh, they uh, continue to communicate with the Lord. The Lord promises through his compassion that he will guide them to a land of promise. And uh, it's kind of uh, important as we read some of these passages uh, that, that the brother of Jared is very diligent in how he approaches the Lord. He asks uh, for a long time, the passage in Ether 143, and thus will I do unto thee, because this long time ye have cried unto me. God frequently is inclined to give us what we really want, and it's important for us to develop the discipline so that we really want the things that are best. Everyone is diligent at something. Sometimes it's entertainment, sometimes social media or politics, but few are diligent at prayer and righteousness. But everyone could be more diligent if we can change ourselves to really want what is best. God is likely to give it to us. And he promises to bring them to a land of promise. Uh, Let's go to some reading. Ether chapter 
uh, 2, verses 8 through 12. And he had sworn in his wrath unto the brother of Jared that whoso should possess this land from that time henceforth and forever should serve him the only and true God, or they should be swept off when the fullness of his wrath should come upon them. And now we can behold the decrees of God concerning this land, that it is a land of promise, and whatsoever nation shall possess it shall serve God, or they shall be swept off when the fullness of his wrath shall come upon them. And the fullness of his wrath cometh upon them when they are ripened in iniquity. For behold, this is a land which is choice above all other lands. Wherefore he that doth possess it shall serve God, or shall be swept off, for it is the everlasting decree of God. And it is not until the fullness of iniquity among the children of the land that they are swept off. And this cometh unto you, O ye Gentiles, that ye may know of the decrees of God, that ye may repent, and not continue in your iniquities until the fullness come, that ye may not bring down the fullness of the wrath of God upon you, as the inhabitants of the land have hitherto done. Behold, this is a choice land, and whatsoever nation shall possess it shall be free from bondage and from captivity and from all other nations under heaven, if they will but serve the God of the land, who is Jesus Christ who hath been manifested by the things which we have written. Very powerful passage that, that Moroni writes here. America is a great land. He is talking about the American continent. It is a great land, but it is conditionally great. We have just recently read about the dystopia that the Nephites experienced in this land because they turned away from Jesus Christ. We will be studying the dystopia that the Jaredites created and experienced multiple times for the same reason, turning away from Jesus Christ. Now, it's okay to be involved in politics and other secular activities, and the Book of Mormon also confirms the divine inspiration of the United States Constitution. These are okay things to be interested in and involved in, but the ultimate purpose of this land involves serving the God of this land, who is Jesus Christ. All right. As they continued on, they were instructed to build barges so that they could travel across the sea and arrive at the promised land. Um, they had a few problems, and the Lord revealed to the brother of Jared how to deal with the air problem. They would have holes in the top and the bottom that they could stop and unstop as needed. Uh, the Lord also um, was, the brother of Jared confronted the Lord about the problem of light, and the Lord told the brother of Jared that there were a couple of really bad ideas that he shouldn't use, uh, namely windows and fire. Um, but then he asked the brother of Jared what he thought the Lord should do. So the brother of Jared prepared 16 small stones. He molded them from rock, and they became white and clear like glass. And then he approached the Lord begging in great humility for the Lord to touch these stones and make them glow. 
Now, even though the brother of Jared had cried to the Lord and received answers and uh, mercy on behalf of himself and his family and his friends, he didn't approach the Lord as a friend or a homie or a pal or a chum. He approached him as though he were God. Here's some reading. O Lord, thou hast said that we must be encompassed about by floods. Now behold, O Lord, and do not be angry with thy servant because of his weakness before thee. For we know that thou art holy and dwellest in the heavens, and that we are unworthy before thee because of the fall of our natures have become evil continually. Nevertheless, O Lord, thou hast given us a commandment that we must call upon thee, and from thee we may receive according to our desires. Behold, O Lord, thou hast smitten us because of our iniquity, and hast driven us forth, and for these many years we have been in the wilderness. Nevertheless, thou hast been merciful unto us. O Lord, look upon me in pity, and turn away thine anger from this thy people, and suffer not that they shall go forth across this raging deep in darkness." But behold, these things which I have molten out of the rock, and now, O Lord, thou hast all power, and can do whatsoever thou wilt for the benefit of man. Therefore, touch these stones, O Lord, with thy finger, and prepare them that they may shine forth in darkness. And they shall shine forth unto us in the vessels which we have prepared, that we may have light while we shall cross the sea." Behold, O Lord, thou canst do this. We know that thou art able to show forth great power, which looks small unto the understanding of man. So the faith that the brother of Jared had as he approached the Lord, I think is kind of interesting. Even though he had received revelation before, he really didn't know that the Lord had the appearance of a man. And when the Lord touched the stones, he saw his finger and ultimately beheld his entire spirit form, that it was like a, a body of flesh and, and blood, is how the brother of Jared described uh, its appearance. What he did know, uh, in spite of not knowing that, what he did know was that the Lord had great power, and he was confident that the Lord would do what was best. And I think that that's an important lesson that you don't have to know everything before you can exercise great faith. If you have sufficient humility and diligence and faith, the Lord can work miracles in your life. Now, of course, in the end, of course, you should learn all that you can, but you will be required to act before you have all knowledge. And the leap of faith will help you to solve many of your problems. Now, of course, you should be a good citizen and understand the role of government in, in your nation, but know that this land is bound under promises more than a hundred times the age of this nation. It is a promised land, and its God is Jesus Christ. Now, of course, you should seek secular improvement in your life, whether this is building new structures, creating new art, obtaining new education, skills, training. It can be incredibly helpful to do all of these things, but it is never worth exchanging your faith and testimony 
to achieve worldly success. That is Babylon, and towers of apostasy never last. We appreciate all the support for the Ward Preacher podcast. Next week, we will be looking at Ether chapters 6 through 11, the path of Achish, the son of Kimnor. Of course, there is a ton we did not cover in our reading today. Please do so individually and with your family. And as always, fight on.